0: He was the first guy to be proud to be in America. If you live in a
1: town that doesn't have a Washington Street, look at the map again. Ball wash, <laughs> yeah.
0: I will cross the river and murder <laughs> you. Yeah. Hey there. Welcome to the Presequential Podcast, where we go from 1 to 45 and under 90 and discuss the life, legacy, and little-known facts about every American president. I'm your host, Ryan Allworth, joined as always by today, a very bearded co-host, Blaine Zimmerman. Blaine, that is, that is bushy. Been working on it for a while. Yeah. How long have you been growing that guy out? Two months. Wow. When are you shaving it? I don't know yet. How's your wife feel about it? She's fine. Yeah, she's okay with it? Yeah. Okay, all right. Well, and and our producer extraordinaire and vice presidential expert, expert has air quotes around it, uh, Russ Slivka, also very bearded. Russ, I've never not seen you without a beard. Um, It's beautiful.
2: Thank you. I've been growing it since elementary school. Wow.
0: That's impressive. Guys, how excited are you to dive into the life of George Washington tonight?
2: I hope we have enough time.
0: I know. It, we we got to keep trucking with this intro. Uh, Blaine, besides texting me which presidential biography I need to read next, you also named the episodes of the Presidential Podcast. What are we calling episode one on George Washington?
1: The Father. Oh, I like that. The Father.
0: <laughs> That's from Home Alone, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um credit card, you got it. Uh we we read uh Washington a Life by Ron Chernow. Wow, what a way to get out of the gate on the journey of presidential biographies. Uh eight hundred and thirteen pages long. Yep. Written in two thousand ten. Gosh. Uh, same author that wrote Hamilton that and Grant. Banned. And Grant, yeah. And Grant, so yeah. we'll see Ronnie again. Ronnie. <laughs> Roundy chair now. Yeah. Uh, we also every episode uh, we like to enjoy a, a cocktail while we're recording. Uh, in honor of George Washington, uh, we are sipping on. Well, Russ, what are we sipping on tonight?
2: It's a horse soldier bourbon, a
0: straight bourbon whiskey. Uh, where is this made? Columbus, Ohio. Columbus, Ohio, the Buckeye State. We are in the Hoosier State, just Correct. just right next door. Uh, George Washington was an expert horseman. Correct. Uh, Thomas Jefferson called him. I don't know the quote, but he called him a fantastic guy on a horse. Yeah, he was good on him. Yeah, he was. I think that was the quote. (laughs) Fantastic. (laughs) They said, Thomas, how was uh, George Washington on a horse? And he said, he was good
1: on him. He was
0: good on him. (laughs) (laughs) He was was really good. Yeah. Um, What do you guys remember about George Washington uh, from social studies? Okay.
1: Uh, Chopped down a cherry tree, wooden teeth, and wig. Okay,
0: keep going. Russ, what would you add to that?
2: First president of the United States. Yes. Well, okay. sure.
0: Dollar bill, quarter, uh, uh, boat painting across the Delaware. Yeah, uh, big he, obelisk.
1: Yeah. Oh, G-
0: yeah. Giant obelisk in there. the, uh, in the uh, capital. Yeah. Uh, currently, uh, some statues of him are getting pulled down, or have been uh, being pulled down because yeah. he was a slave owner. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, uh, created America. Correct. He's the <laughs> yeah. father. Of the country. That's why we're calling it the father. Yeah.
1: Uh, also, none of mine facts are true, as we will learn. We are not experts. <laughs> we're not no, experts. Just, those are things you That's learn right. about when you're a child. Yes. And uh, as we learned in this book, none of those things
0: were true, yes. which is why I brought them up. Yeah. He was a mythical. Uh, there's There's like an icon status of George mm-hmm. Washington. And then there's the real George Washington. Yeah. yeah. Even yeah. when he was alive. There was a mythical. You like, kind of played into it every once in oh, a while. Oh yeah, yeah. All right. Well, cheers, boys. Yep. Uh, this is Horse Soldier Bourbon Whiskey that we're drinking in honor of George Washington. Cheers to you! Uh, if this is your first time ever listening to the Presidential Podcast, you guys ready to dive in? Let's do it. All right. Well, we often see George's birthday as February twenty second, seventeen thirty two, but Washington was actually born on February eleventh, seventeen thirty one, to Augustine and Mary Ball Washington. At Wakefield Farm, Westmoreland County, Virginia. When the colonies switched to the Gregorian calendar from the Julian calendar, his birthday was moved eleven days. So that's why you see it on February twenty second, seventeen thirty two. Blaine, why are you laughing? <laughs> Just
1: uh but when I said the word ball, you kinda got a little chuckling. No, uh Mary Ball Washington. Uh huh. Um she was an interesting person. She was. Yeah, she's uh, iron-willed. Yeah, iron-willed. not to be not the dog. No. <laughs> no. She, he actually, Sorry. like really early in life, yeah. uh, said that he wanted to be the opposite of his mother. Yeah. And, and people have said that the most formidable general George ever encountered was Mary Ballwash-ington. Uh, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> now I get <laughs> it. <laughs> That's how you said it. <laughs> I said Mary Ballwash-ington? Yeah.
1: Oh, wow. Um... <laughs> That is, she does persist in she the story, does. though, yeah. of not being a great human being. Yeah,
0: she would, she just, uh, she kind of just nagged at him a lot.
1: Tried to, like, hinder his career so he couldn't go away.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You always just want to go off to war. Yeah, I need people here to yeah. do work so I don't have to. Well, here's the deal. His dad died in 1743 when he was 11, leaving Mary Ballwash, Ingeton, to raise their five children and run the family farm by herself.
1: Yeah. So interesting side note on Washington, Go ahead. Uh, grew up without a father and yeah. had no children of his own. Mm. So
0: the, uh, the fact that he becomes the father of our country yes. holds
1: a little bit extra
0: weight. And I think a lot of people liked that knowing that it, there was no risk of inherited title mm-hmm. with him. As, as they were trying to avoid a monarchy 2.0 yep. in this American experiment, they didn't have to worry about that. Uh, Well, at 16, uh, George leaves Mary behind and begins a a career as a surveyor on behalf of a prominent Virginia landowner, Lord Thomas Fairfax. Soon after, he inherited the rights to the Mount Vernon plantation upon the death of his older brother, Lawrence. At 22, having never seen combat before, George led an outfit of 40 Virginia forces and native allies against the French in the upper Ohio River Valley, and inadvertently sparked a world war. Uh, who fired the first shot remains in dispute. But at the end of a 15-minute skirmish, at least 10 French soldiers and a minor French noble, Joseph colon de Villiers de Jumonville—that's his entire name and title—he uh, was on a diplomatic mission. Well, they were all brained and scalped and dead, um, Washington he was a, with minor? a minor French noble. I don't know with if he that's... was a French noble that was a child. I think he was a lesser French oh, noble. Okay, He's an eight-year-old <laughs> French noble. Or he's a noble. <laughs> noble of the French mines. Oh, yeah. He's a, he's a lesser known. Got it. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Washington's branded by an ass- as an assassin by the French, and the conflict between the French and the British escalated into the French and Indian War and soon spread worldwide into what became known as the Seven Years' War. So at 22... George is already having a worldwide impact. Uh, The Battle of Fort Necessity that followed shortly after was a disaster for George. On July 3rd, 1754, a mix of French and Indian fighters overwhelmed Washington's outnumbered men and their small, flimsy Fort Necessity, which was essentially a tall, round fence in an open field. Blaine, you're you're a a National Guardsman. Is that the correct title? Sure. You're an officer in the Army. Uh, Did anything jump out to you in the Battle of Fort Necessity as you were reading Washington alive by Ron Chernow. well, outside of the fact that like he started his career with a
1: loss mm. um the i mean and and he continued accruing them for yeah. a while yeah he he really tried hard to be a British officer, and he they did.
0: kept like heismaning him, yeah, just constantly getting rebuffed, yeah, yeah. which spoiler alert they're gonna pay for turns deal. out bad for the Brits, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, go ahead. No, that's it. All right. In 1758, he commanded 700 men as part of a force that defeated the French as Colonel George Washington. Shortly thereafter, he resigned commission as commander of Virginia colonial forces to attend to private matters at Mount Vernon. Now he's a war hero, and he easily wins election to the Virginia House of Burgesses. Without a wig. This is about where the book introduces that part. Never wore a wig. Never. He just powdered his hair. Yeah. His hair was naturally reddish-brown color, Mm -hmm. uh, and he just liked to powder it up, tie it back in a queue. Never wore a wig. Blaine, that's very astute of you. (laughs) Uh, You can read. (laughs) Well, actually, he never wore a wig. Uh, On January 6th, 1759, he marries one of the richest women in the state of Virginia, Martha, or colony of Virginia, excuse me, Martha Dandridge Custis, and assumed care of her children, Martha and John. Martha was a 27-year-old widow who inherited thousands of acres, 300 slaves, and other valuable property when her wealthy plantation owner husband died. For the next decade, Washington was basically farming, expanding the property around Mount Burton, uh, Vert, Vert, Vernon. Vernon, thank you. As tensions were building between Great Britain and her colonies, he really had
1: a knack for understanding how to move up in the world. Mm. I mean, you talked a little bit about how Fairfax you know brought him on as a surveyor after yeah. um, unsuccessfully trying to get him into the British Navy. Uh, so he he understood like if he kind of nestles in with the Fairfax family kind of ups the stakes or ups his you know status in the yeah. world and then he understood that the the Custis family was higher than his correct and that the best thing to do as an adult male at that time was marry up. yeah and so he married up and then he got the inheritance from his sister yes. When she I got married was. because they she had to give up the inheritance and gave it to him. So he just like, I don't know if it's luck or skill, mm. but he had a knack to really like figure out to, how to position himself successfully to just continue to move up. It could have been a
0: combination of both. He it knew he usually, was a good dancer. He knew he looked good. He was a very tall man. Well,
1: women really liked George yes. Roy. He would have been on the cover of Tiger Beat. GQ.
0: Yeah. G- oh, yeah, that works yeah. too. George Quarterly. you guys remember what happened on march 5th 1770 uh no up in massachusetts oh is this uh uh boston massacre it is the boston massacre or the incident on king street if you're british Oh, they do that mm-hmm. Civil War thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The War of Northern Aggression. <laughs> yeah. No, it's actually the Civil War. Uh, the Boston Massacre deepens the colonist's hatred of the British and sets the two sides on the course for war. Four years later, in 1774, Washington served as a delegate from Virginia in the First Continental Congress in Philadelphia. Other delegates included John Adams, his cousin Samuel Adams, Patrick Give-Me-Liberty-Or-Give-Me-Death-Henry, and other famous founding fathers.
1: William Harrison?
0: Which Harrison? Uh, I'm sorry.
1: One of the the hair. William was,
0: Henry Harrison's. Uh, yes, he, uh, maybe he is was it his father? I think yeah. it was his father. Yeah, yeah. We're we'll get more into that in episode. I think it was nine. Benjamin.
1: I think it was the original Benjamin Harrison. Could have been.
0: I yeah. feel like it was William Henry William Henry's the fifth. I don't know. Either way, he yeah. carried little. Uh, John Hancock in the chair. That's right. Yeah. He did. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, we'll get more into that in episode nine. Yeah, down the down the line a little bit. Washington held his seat in the House of Burgesses back home in Virginia until 1775, when the American Revolution began on April 19th with the battles of. Remember Yorktown. What, th- what were the battles? <laughs> April 19th, 1775. What were the two battles that sparked the American Revolutionary War? Monmouth. Nope, I man, I you're putting me on the spot. Really, I dude, it, it's yeah, okay. Sorry, Lexington and Concord. Of course, that's there what is. I said. No, I, I, I won't, I won't play back what you actually said. <laughs> <laughs> Two months later, during, I said Lexington and Concord. I think you said you, Monmouth, and ooh. first you said Yorktown. You believe
1: in Lexington?
0: <laughs> you have a tactic with conspiracy theorists <laughs> that you just uh, you go over their head, don't yeah. you? Give me an example. I just did. <laughs> Give me another The Revolutionary one. War never happened. Oh, you believe in the revolution? <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Two months later, during the Second Continental Congress, fellow delegate John Adams of Boston nominates Washington to be appointed commander-in-chief of the Continental Army on June 15, 1775. Washington left the room while his fellow delegates decided upon his appointment over John Hancock of Boston. John thought it was going to be him. George said, I'm going to sit this one out. And uh, they appointed him commander-in-chief of the army. Much of the fighting throughout the rest of seventeen He walked away. Yeah. Yeah, because it was
1: like uncouth to be there when you were... To be in the room where it happened. Oh, gosh. Drink. And so... (laughs) We have this thing that you have
0: to drink every time Blaine makes a Hamilton reference.
1: So he, when he realized he was going to
0: be nominated, he walked out of the room.
1: Yeah. Uh, And that, you'll see, tends to be... Kind of a sticking point with politicians, like you never ran for politics, mm. like other people ran for you. Yeah, you never expressed interest in wanting a position; it just happened.
0: If it is conferred upon yeah. me, I shall take it.
1: The I think it, Garfield made a comment at one point, not the cat. Oh, thank um, you for clarifying. He that. said, "I hate Mondays." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Loved lasagna, then got killed. Yeah, That's he right. he made a comment at one point that like no man has ever become president. That has wanted to become president, hmm. which is obviously untrue now, but at the time, right.
0: it made sense. Yeah. I should mention that blank That's is a paraphrase. Like, you're like 27 books in front of nah. all of us. That's, 20. That's my- yeah. So anytime Blaine references a future president than the episode we're on, it's because he's currently reading my Which book. is why my notes are all jumbled and I don't remember things like Lexington and Concord. That's okay. Or Yorktown or Monmouth.
2: <laughs>
1: Look, to be fair, yeah. I wasn't paying attention. No, that's and okay. you were like battles and I was like uh Yorktown. <laughs> <laughs> Iwo Jima <laughs>
0: Anyway, much of the fighting throughout the rest of 1775 into 1776 is taking place in New England and Quebec. All right, we're flash forwarding to 1776. Top of the year, January. Washington learns that the British are shifting their strategy from Boston to New York City. Mm -mm. On the sixth anniversary of the Boston Massacre... March 4th and 5th, 1776, Washington and his troops pulled off a tactical miracle overnight and defeated General Howe's army at the Battle of Dorchester Heights in Boston, causing the British to evacuate the city 12 days later. Do you remember this from the book? You think they say that? You think they say
1: Dorchester?
0: Dorchester. Yeah. Dorchester. Dorchester. Dasta. Yeah, Worcestershire Ah, oh, the Battle at Dasta Heights.
2: <laughs> 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 Just take out all the syllables. <laughs> Massachusetts. it a D, there's
0: an S, there's an I. Yeah. Dasta Heights. Um, the battle included one of the most stupendous feats of logistics, thanks to Colonel Henry Knox. Over the course of three winter mo- months, Knox and his men moved the 60 tons of cannons captured by Ethan Allen and Benedict Arnold at Ticonderoga by boat, horse, and and sheer manpower um, across poor quality roads, through the mud, through frozen rivers, uh, forests and swamps, and they get it to the top of this hill over the cover of night uh, and basically fool the British. And the British wake up to realize, what did the Americans just do? And I love that that military tactical uh, brilliance of Washington there. That was kind of cool.
1: And then Ethan Allen went on to make uh, Furniture, high-end... couches, yeah.
0: nightstands, and the likes. And Benedict Arnold just became... Oh, we'll talk about him. Benedict Arnold. And we will talk more about the Boston
1: massacre in the next episode. Yes, we will. That's right. So for those of you wondering why we're breezing through this and we're already up to 1776, Mm. uh, Washington's a two-termer, uh-huh. we've got a lot to get through in ninety, in under 90 minutes, That's and right. we do cover a lot of the Revolutionary War in upcoming episodes.
0: Yeah, if, if you really want to dive into it, maybe we can put this in the show notes, yeah. read 1776 by David McCullough. Yeah, it's
1: a really good, concise way of putting everything into one book,
0: and yes. one narrative. Yeah. Washington arrives in New York City in April, as do the Howe brothers, General and Admiral Howe from England, shortly after him in June, along with an armada of 400 British ships and 20,000 soldiers. And Howe. And (laughs) Howe. We'll take those Americans while trying to... That wasn't even a British accent at all. No, it wasn't. I need some more horse soldier, by the way. Can someone pour me some more horse soldier? While trying to hold New York City on July 2nd, 1776, Washington tried to rouse his untried men with these words. I love this quote. The time is now near at hand, which must probably determine whether Americans are to be free men or slaves. The fate of unborn millions will now depend under God on the courage of this army. Talk about a good speech right there. Somebody in the back was like, What about the slaves
2: that are already here?
0: They were like, You own slaves, don't you? (laughs) What did he say? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. The final text of the Declaration of Independence was approved two days later on July 4th by Congress. On July 6th, Washington received a copy of it from John Hancock and read it to his troops three days later on July 9th. Huzzah, the soldiers said before sprinting down Broadway and toppling the equestrian statue of King George III. Oh, De- so that's not new? <laughs> no. <laughs> they decapitated it. Then they paraded the head around New York City to fifes and drums. So they the- canceled him. They did. They- yeah. They are like, we have to put this on Instagram. (laughs) What's Instagram? The 4,000 pounds of lead in the statue was melted down to make 42,088 musket balls. Yeah. That's where Mel Gibson got the idea. In the Patriot? Yep. Yeah. That's probably where it came from. That's where the term baller move came from, actually. No. (laughs) No. Washington, however, was abhorred by the disorder and vandalism and refused to abide the desecration of the king's statue. On July 14th, the uh, brothers, General and Admiral Howe, attempted to contact Washington to open negotiations, but Washington, I love this, refused their letter, which was addressed to George Washington, Esquire, etc., etc., which was a form of address appropriate for a private gentleman rather than for the commander of an army. I love that. He was like, I'm not even going to look at that letter unless it says yeah. General. Sorry, too many et cetera Sorry. I do like the Esquire, though. I'll keep that. In late August, during a heavy night fog, Washington and his army silently evacuate Long Island by boat to Manhattan, escaping almost certain capture. Only after some 9,500 men have been safely ferried across the East River did Washington board the last boat and join them. Later in October, New York City would fall into British hands, and for much of November and December of seventeen seventy-six, Washington and his men were on the run throughout New Jersey. John Adamsley famously says In general, our
1: generals have generally been out
0: I'm sorry. So that sounds like from Pirates of the Penzance, some song lyric that is, I've never heard. In of.
1: general, our generals have been out I, feel I think like I John added Adams. It
0: generally the first time. That's okay. I feel like John Adams was just trying to be smart there. He was? Yeah. No, no, I'm like, he was smart. Oh, yeah, that was a yeah. period, not a question <laughs> mark. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I love this. Probably one of the most famous and, frankly, pretty badass military moments of American history uh, happened on Christmas Day, Mm -hmm. 1776, when Washington, Knox, and 2,400 American troops crossed the Delaware River in freezing weather to launch a surprise attack on the British and Hessian mercenaries encamped at Trenton, New Jersey. In the early morning hours of December 26, the attack begins, and after a short battle, Washington's army takes trenton huzzah the soldiers said again to washington also merry christmas
1: yeah that was i mean <laughs> whew, i love that we will murder you in you in your sleep on christmas, on christmas. Yeah. yeah that's it's, it's a lost move the famous painting uh mm-hmm. it's on a pair of my shorts yeah uh i mean that's one of my favorite paintings
0: ever it's pretty awesome uh so and we'll get also into that painting in number five with James Monroe foreshadowing alert because Monroe was there oh yes correct. yes yeah. he advanced yeah anyway we'll, we're getting ahead of ahead yeah. of ourselves all right we got to keep flying in 1777 19 year old Marquis de Lafayette who was generally loved by everyone everyone uh, loved? America's favorite fighting Frenchman
1: uh <laughs> sounds like a bumper sticker in Alabama <laughs> I mean pretty much every account that of this entire era of anyone that's met yeah. Lafayette like at one point Washington wrote a love letter to him yeah like just
0: outpouring I, of, I think Lafayette eventually named his son after George, George Washington. Washington Lafayette yeah 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 yeah, mm-hmm. yeah that was after years prison later. thing yeah
1: um the uh his life his personal bodyguards did we talk about that during the war oh go ahead because I don't me, yeah. I don't know if we're skipping over the attempted
0: assassination via peas Oh, but, please. You, I mean, you're on the subject. Let's talk about so it. So a
1: couple things just about the war while we're, we have a little break in time here. Okay. One, his personal security team were called lifeguards. And um, I feel like... That probably held a lot more weight than it does now. Yeah, like for sure. at some point when the Secret Service came in and they were like, "We're going to take over for this," and the we're lifeguards good. are like, "What? What do we do?" And they're like, "I don't know. Go watch those kids in that pool. Yeah,
0: go blow your whistle and look at your <laughs> yeah, phone.
1: Like here, have some more sunscreen on your nose. <laughs> don't worry, you'll get a tall chair." <laughs> the, That's um, great. but a member of his security team. Was in an assassination plot against him, which yes. I believe was also perpetuated by Benedict Arnold. Correct? Could have been. Was that the same one?
0: I think this was the one they they tried that poisoned his peas. That Washington had publicly executed in front of like twenty thousand oh, yeah. troops. He, he was killed like, that lifeguard. Yeah, he's like everyone's gonna watch this. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> he also was like really strict with his soldiers.
1: He was. Like he had really strict. He would whip them, mm. or, or uh, you know. Whatever they called it at the time, he would whip them. Yeah, um, and the term "bite the bullet" came from his soldiers. Uh, essentially, when they would like, they would get hungry, so they would like raid somebody's barn okay. and and take blankets and food and stuff. And uh, they would get to a point where they knew because he because Washington didn't want. Them, you know, pillaging their own people. Yeah. But he couldn't get enough funds from Congress yeah. to pay them and feed Gosh. them and clothe them. So they got to certain points where they would be like, all right, look, uh, I'm going to bite the bullet here mm.
2: uh,
1: and I'm just going to eat and be full and then take my whipping. And then when they would get whipped, they would take their bullets from their muskets and bite them to withstand
0: the pain. Wow. Learn something new every time you listen to the Presequential podcast or. Blame just makes something up. I think that's factual, though, from the book. Yeah, it's... that's not fake news. I don't. There are too many people that listen to this that know so
1: much more about this oh, stuff yeah, than we yeah, do. Yeah. That if I try to make something up, we'd get at
0: least two angry. Emails. Oh, we just got an email from George Washington the Fourteenth <laughs> at hotmail dot com. Wow, he was he's a big a fan mail. of trying to kidnap people as well.
1: I might be getting ahead of the story, but he really that's tried. to... Okay. he was. He yeah. was a big fan.
0: Yeah. Well, Lafayette shows up, everyone loves him, develops a very close friendship with Washington, there's a ton of fighting, Uh, he hunkers down for the winter of 1777 with 12,000 men at Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, outside of Philadelphia, which was just a horrendous winter, to say the least, it almost broke the spirit of the army. Finally, in 1781, all right, so we're going a little bit ahead, uh, after facing mutinies and other hardships, Washington defeats General Cornwallis at Blaine. What? It was your first guess ever. Yorktown. (laughs) Yorktown. (laughs) Yorktown. Hey, thanks for that. I was reading that. my notes again. It's like, he's <laughs> on a roll.
1: I got time to read ahead. Uh, Normandy. You <laughs> <He laughs> said Blaine. I was like, I don't know what we're I talking about. I have
0: no idea. What's your name again? Uh, also, thanks for the help, France, because uh, they prevented the, uh, they, they shut off the harbor there. Uh-huh. And they, all, I think Lafayette prevented the southern retreat of Cornwallis. So I could be wrong. And then I think Washington came from the north. So they basically had them cornered. They basically just kept taking, like, berm by berm. Mm. and they just kept moving forward yeah. and moving forward and moving forward and then Hamilton that white flag involved. He, Hamilton was yeah. Hamilton I think was also at Monmouth I believe mm. I can't remember yeah. anyway uh, the we're treat- bad with battle names that's okay Yeah, this is a president podcast,
1: not a Revolutionary War podcast. That's a good
0: point. The Treaty of Paris is signed two years later on September 3rd, 1783. Washington resigns as commander-in-chief in in late December 1783 and returns home to Mount Vernon. Hey, on that note, we're going to refresh our beverages and let you hear from one of our fantastic sponsors before we dive into Washington's presidency. You're listening to Episode 1, the father of the Presequential Podcast. We'll be right back hey guys it's blaine
1: and for our fans with an interest in a more modern military history Make sure you check out our friends over at the Panjway Podcast. Panjway Podcast is an interview-based podcast that documents the experience of combat veterans in the Panjway District of Afghanistan. When I was in Afghanistan, I actually served in Zari, which is just north of Panjway, so it's pretty cool to see them document their experiences and the experiences of other American and Canadian forces that fought in the area. Be sure to check them out at thepanjwaypodcast.com. That's spelled THE P-A-N-J-W-A-I podcast.com and on all major podcast platforms. That's the P-A-N-J-W-A-I podcast.com.
0: Hey, welcome back. We got some fresh horse soldier straight bourbon whiskey. We've taken a little bit of a break, but we are back and we're so glad you are back as well listening to episode one, the father of the Presequential Podcast, Russ Blaine. How was that break for each of you? It was good. Okay. All right. Well needed. It's great okay wonderful uh blaine do you have any other uh notes from the book that we read about washington yeah so before we dive into
1: the first presidency yeah um going back a little bit to 1783 march 15th um and what is now known as the Newburgh conspiracy okay there were a lot of army officers from the revolutionary war that were upset uh that congress hadn't paid them as they had promised they were going to pay them so as we discussed before there were pay issues um and essentially they were like don't worry you'll get back pay back pay hadn't come yet and all these officers had basically congregated in philadelphia to storm congress and demand their payment washington realizing this is probably a poor move on his part and realizing that he could probably get their pay in a diplomatic fashion yeah um has like a prepared statement that he wants to read them. And as he's about to read it, uh, he realizes that, that he can't cause he can't see it that well. So as he's pulling his glasses out of mm. his coat pocket, he says, gentlemen, you must pardon me. I have grown gray in your service. And now I find myself going blind. Mm. And they basically like all started crying and they were like, you know what? We're good. Like, yeah, he's right. Uh, we're going to let you handle this. I love that. Yeah. And just that small, like, you know, comment
0: as he pulled his glasses Gosh. out, like just killed the room. I love that, that, man. 1783. What was the name? What was the, what was the the, the thing Newberg called? conspiracy? Okay. Newberg. You can check that out if you wanna learn more about that. The summer of 1787, so four years after the Newburgh conspiracy, Washington is elected to preside over the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia. At that point, we had been uh, basically run by the Articles of Confederation, which were pretty lackluster. We needed a lot more uh, stable of a document. Uh, So the new constitution goes through the ratification process, finally becomes the law of the land in June 1788. Congress calls for elections in late 1788 and early 1789. To head the newly established executive branch of the government, 69 electors from 10 states unanimously choose Washington as the nation's first president on February 4th, 1789, while John Adams got the most votes of any vice presidential contender. Alexander Hamilton... Drink. Oh, okay. I didn't make the reference, but every sure. time we mentioned Hamilton, had suggested privately to a few electors that they withhold votes from Adams to ensure Washington's victory. Adams, very vain and thin-skinned, was thoroughly pissed when Hamilton, uh, with Hamilton, when he found out about his duplicity, which poisoned future relations between the two. Which we'll probably dive into in episode yeah. two. All right, so Washington takes the oath of office and is inaugurated as president in New York City, then the nation's capital, on April 30th, 1789. And as the uh, the first chief executive of America, Washington is well aware that he's going to be setting numerous precedents for his successors. Okay, so he becomes the first president in almost everything, Uh, literally the first president in everything. But he established the tradition of delivering a State of the Union address to Congress annually and in person. The Constitution at the time just called for the president to update the Congress quote from time to time end quote. Washington was the guy who's like, we're going to do this every year. I'm going to do it in person. I'm not just going to send a letter to Congress. However,
1: previous presidents didn't always do that in person. Sometimes they would just send their State of the Union to Congress to be read.
0: Hmm. By, I would presume, the Speaker of the House? Yeah. Or the Vice President, yeah. Or the Vice President. Yeah. Okay. Uh, On April 5th, 1792, Washington exercises his first ever presidential veto. American presidents to date have used their veto power more than, let's take a guess. Russ, how many times do you think American presidents to date since Washington have used the veto power? You're saying total? Yeah. Or per president? Uh, Total.
1: Okay.
2: Hundreds. (laughs) Okay.
1: All right. That's kind Uh, of ballpark. Okay. So there's 45... Some presidents have vetoed a little lot. I'm going to
0: say 273. Multiply that by about 10. Oh, wow. 2,500 times the veto power has been used. Washington, of course, was the first to ever use it. However, several years after he became president. Although he had doubts about continuing in an office and yearned to return to private life at Mount Vernon, Jefferson Hamilton, among others, persuaded him to stay for the good of the country on February third, seventeen ninety three He is unanimously reelected for the presidency. John Adams again is reelected vice president for, I
1: would like to lo- know a little bit more about John Adams, the vice president
0: as the vice president yeah,
1: huh. do we
0: know? anyone that could give us Russ do you have something to say about the vice president John Adams
2: sure I can provide a little information please do Uh, John Adams as the vice president was not very accustomed to being the president of the senate Mm. so he was more accustomed to debating rather than presiding over a debate so he was a little uncomfortable with that how good of a debater was he would you say he was yep, an amateur
0: okay. debater? or I would right. say
2: he was the master of debaters. Uh, did he have any ideas for the presidency? He did. While he was the head of the Senate, uh, one of the issues that did came up is what do we call the president? Mm. There was a Senate committee, um, and their result was they wanted to call him. His Highness, the President of the United States of America and Protector of the Rights of the Senate. Wow. Just rolls
1: off the tongue. Yeah. Rolls and off the tongue. Decided to not go with that?
2: They decided to not go with that. And <laughs> in this That's case, great. even though um, the Vice President is supposed to stay out of any debates, go on. John Adams did uh, hop into this one and uh, instead offered His Majesty the President. Oh, my. He oh went. a great Decemberist
0: album. Oh,
1: I'm sorry, what? It's a great Decemberist album. Is it? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, he was actually ridiculed for this. Well, I hope for, he would be. Yeah, of course. Well, he was ridiculed for even... Lots of stuff. ...offering his opinion. <laughs> 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 they called him... Uh, what was the thing? His, that, yo, his, his rotundity. rotundity. <laughs> ah, John Adams. <laughs> oh, yeah. Man. Uh, there That's was great. a senator, William McClay, uh, that mocked him. And his presiding over the Senate saying, I cannot help thinking of a monkey put into breeches. Wow. breeches!
0: Yeah. Uh, bre- they were, were breeches back then. Well, Grandma Fox said breeches. This was breeches. Grandma Fox. She was, was never wrong. Was she in the Congress as well? In she might so- have been.
2: <laughs> <laughs> she was there. <laughs> wow. All
0: right. So he's vice president, essentially does not much except side with the party line.
2: Basically, okay. break any ties. Yeah. Well, if
1: he was rotundity, maybe he was too big for his breeches.
2: Wow. His breeches. His breeches. Man.
0: Well, Russ, thank you as always, not just for producing the show, having a glorious beard, uh, but also bringing the vice presidential knowledge. I mean, I, I I, think the people listening to this gained two, maybe three. Uh, just new- a, a little bit. Uh, of information that you just shared
2: that's what i offer Mm,
0: nuggets upon nuggets that they could glean from that well for washington's second inaugural address he delivers the shortest inaugural speech on record a compact 135 words in a ceremony intended as the antithesis of monarchical extravagance say that five times fast there was no precedent for swearing in of an incumbent president. They had no idea what to do. And uh, we're going to get this into episode four. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to talk a little bit, Blaine, about that inaugural address? Well, no. The one you're talking about was his first. Oh, the first one. Do you yeah, want to talk his about first that one? first
1: inaugural address was written by James Madison. Maybe you've heard of him. And then the response from the Senate, was also written by James Madison. Yes. And then the response from george washington to the senate's response was also written by james madison
2: (laughs) (laughs) so he
1: essentially had one of those arguments in the shower
0: you have with yourself where you get all the answers right it was a tiny shower yeah yeah very small yeah oh man on August 18, 1795, Washington signed Jay's Treaty with Great Britain, named after John Jay, which stabilized American British relations until the War of 1812. On December 7, 1796, Washington makes his final address to Congress in Philadelphia, which was well received by all in attendance except the lone congressman from Tennessee, future seventh president, Andrew. Jackson, who was enraged by the Jay Treaty yeah. and refused to salute to the departing chief or join in applause, He didn't stand either. He did so. Not he stand.
1: was the first. So the people that you see now, yeah, during the say the Union, yep, that don't stand, mm-hmm. uh, you can chalk that one up to Andrew Jackson.
0: Andrew Jackson. Yeah, man. that's part of this journey that I love is that, and in full transparency. We are reading books beyond the current episode, yeah. as we have to. But I personally love seeing...
1: What's the term? You have a term for it. What? The term with the... Uh, the, the musical you term? See, no, no. The oh, Jesus term. Oh, the,
0: the, yeah. When you <laughs> when Jesus shows up in the Old Testament, yeah. it's called a theophany. Yes, yeah, of course. And so somewhat of a... Uh, uh, it, it, you're seeing where they overlap Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. Yes, yeah, that's uh, the word you're looking for. Yes, it is. Thank you. But Theophany. I, I love seeing future presidents in the current president's story.
1: There's some fun ones too.
0: Uh, Lincoln was there uh, on the house or on the house floor when John Quincy Adams, President Number Six, uh, dies, uh, literally on the house of the floor. But yeah. Washington was a Before freshman congressman from uh, Springfield. Lincoln. He Lincoln. died on the floor of the house. Yes. Lincoln was a freshman. Lincoln was a freshman. Student. I'm sorry. I've had like four horse soldiers. After uh,
1: Lincoln's first term, I believe, Millard yes. Fillmore partied with him. Isn't that right? Do I have that backwards? Was it Van Buren? Van Buren That's what was it. like... So Van, well, Van Buren and Fillmore are yeah. equally milk toast. Um <laughs> The... <laughs> Van Buren yeah. post-presidency parties with Lincoln at one yeah. point who is yet to be a congressman or he's a congressman I think elect. he might have been a congressman yeah. And he yeah. was like, I like this kid. Yeah, this yeah. tall, he's skinny guy wrestling for... everybody. What's it's...
0: Illinois again? Yeah. What is that? That's he's a like, state out west? It was okay. crazy.
1: We had like two hard-siders. He was out wrestling the town.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he said, I need this next hard cider like a hole in the head. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Foreshadowing. Too soon. Too soon, sorry. Uh, I just like that, where, where you see the future presidents yeah. showing up in, in each other president's story. Okay, so um, John Adams. Uh, thank you, Russ, for, again, that amazing John Oscar-worthy Adams. performance of sharing about John Adams. Uh, March 4th, 1797, Washington ended the inauguration ceremony of John Adams with an exquisite gesture. He insisted that President Adams and Vice President Thomas Jefferson exit the chamber before him, a perfect symbol that the nation's most powerful man had now reverted to the humble status of a private citizen. So we just rushed really quickly
1: through his presidency and there's some things that we need to go back Please to. Please open it up. Um one was that uh Lafayette at some point in there Gifted him some dogs. Yes, he did. And John Quincy Adams yep. was the escort for those dogs. Yes. <laughs> like he had eight dogs that he had to yeah. chaperone yeah. for George. Across the Atlantic, uh, <laughs> riding vociferously. Oh, yeah. Um, so there's... <laughs> Washington was strongly opposed to the Bill of Rights. He, he only reluctantly agreed to them because he thought that the uh, Declaration of Independence should have covered everything or the original constitution the original constitution covered everything and all the things that the bill of rights explicitly stated he felt were covered enough
0: um also written by James, James (laughs) (laughs) and the response to the bill of rights Uh, so well but the bill of
1: rights was actually written by governor morris governor yeah Yeah, of philadelphia i believe yeah it's actually original name was the william of rights Governor Morris from New York. <laughs> that flew over your like, head. Yeah, no. I was just... He's from New York. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, My bad. Uh, he... Let's see. He signed the first proclamation for Thanksgiving in 1789. I didn't know that. Um, there were... The moving of the Capitol... To a place near Mount Vernon, which was something that Washington yes, pretty strongly financially benefited from. Yeah. It was about the only time in his presidency, outside
0: of the Jay Treaty, yep. that people felt like it was openly okay to criticize him. And that was involved with the Madison-Hamilton-Jefferson in the room where yeah, it happened yeah, thing, yeah. right? The, where the that was part of the compromise. Dinner. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: Um, so moving it at the time from Philadelphia to what we know of today as Washington,
0: there was some... I thought it was New York City for a while. Wasn't it Philly then New York, then DC? Maybe. But what regardless. Yeah. Tomato um, potato. Yeah.
1: So moving it to Washington, like there was a lot of financial incentive yeah. for George Washington to move it that close to Mount Vernon because yeah. of some of the plant the the um not plants. The land that he inherited, yeah, um, the also we've talked we haven't talked about this yet, but we uh, we don't want to look at too many things through today's lens, correct right. But there is a relatively uh, hypocritical side of Washington when it comes to slavery. So um, he owned slaves. He always was conflicted about that. He yep. freed them in his will, um, and it turns out mark. Martha wasn't cool with that, uh, so they weren't really freed. And yep. but while he was openly against slavery, the things that he did personally uh, were very contradictory to yeah. the, his statements. So, for example, he had a few slaves that were runaway, yeah, and he went to great lengths specifically to find them and
0: bring them back. Own a judge, yes. if you remember this story. And there is a great book called Never Caught. The Washington's Relentless Pursuit of Their Runaway Slave, Own a Judge, by Erica Dunbar. That's a great book. It, it basically talks about how um, the lengths that I think she was Martha's slave. Yeah. I believe. Well, she was a
1: Custis. It was, Correct. remember, because that, that was one of the reasons why he could never free his slaves. That's right. Was because he would have owed the Custis family dowry yeah. for the output that yes. they should have produced or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so she was a Custis yes. slave. So the other one was the example of the slaves that he brought to uh, the Capitol building. Oh, in yes. That was in Philadelphia. 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 Yeah. yeah. So Pennsylvania was one of the first states to abolish slavery in the Union. And um, they had a law that if a slave lived in Pennsylvania for more than six months, they became free. Yes. So when he was serving as president there, he would send his... Slaves home after five months and tell them, like, oh no, I'm sending you home so you can see your family.
2: Mm.
1: Knowing that as soon as they crossed the border, their time started over. Yeah. So then he'd bring them back. And then, so he knew through his ways around the law yeah. to continue. Cause the, um, I think his name was Billy, his cook. Uh,
0: yes. Uh, it was his favorite enslaved person at Mount, at Mount Vernon. Um, he was one of the ones that caught on to what was happening. Yeah, where and was it? Kind of turned on something. him, and
1: then he ended up like telling stories for the rest of his life of being a Washington slave. Yeah, kind of made a career out of it. Yeah, um, but th- there were also other things that he did in the time that would be considered, you know, morally righteous. Like yeah. he, he didn't sell slaves uh, away from their families Correct. and things like that. So it's a weird, tricky, and like I said, we we don't want to look at at 1770 yeah. 1780 in today's light yeah but it it's at least worth mentioning the hypocritical side of it right that like he said one thing he talked out of one side of his mouth yeah and, uh, did things in, in a little bit different way it doesn't take I'm, away from all of his accomplishments yeah. by any means that's not what i'm saying i'm not saying go tear down his statues uh, sure th- that's not where i'm going with that i yeah. just i think those are important pieces to to point out
0: yeah, I, I think it is, too. Um, we're going to dive into a lot of this in this journey of what is the history? What does the presidency even mean right. in this American experiment of 200 plus years? Um, before we take our next break, this was interesting uh, in this book when I did not know this, but pres- now President John Adams names Washington commander of a new army created anticipation of a war with France without Washington even knowing it.
1: Oh, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and That was the, he said, I'm naming my general. Yeah. And Adams was like, cool, but not Hamilton. Yeah. And he was exactly. like, no, 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 he's the number one general. And, and he was like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. He can be general, but he's number four. And Correct. Washington's like, that's
0: not how this is going. And then there wasn't a war, so it didn't matter. Well, listen, we're going to dive into Washington's death, legacy, and little-known facts about him, one of our favorite segments of this podcast that we've been creating. Uh, We're going to take a break, refresh our horse-soldier straight bourbon whiskey, uh, and we'll be right back. You're listening to The Presequential Podcast. Facing the transition out of the military is rarely easy. It doesn't help that the staggering number of options you're faced with can be overwhelming. But there's a light at the end of that tunnel for all veterans. And that light shines brightest here in Indiana. Lucrative careers in fast-growing industries are plentiful. Housing costs are amongst the lowest in the nation. And you can live in the country while being less than an hour from a world-class city. At InVets, we're showing veterans how to translate the valuable skills they've learned to the civilian world while connecting them with careers they can be proud of so they can lead fulfilling, purposeful lives. Go to InVets, that's I-N-V-E-T-S dot org. Create a profile to learn more about Indiana communities. Browse the current open job openings in these communities and receive your free shirt. That's InVets, I-N-V-E-T-S dot org. We're back. You're listening to episode one of the Presequential Podcast, the father on George Washington. Uh, Washington dies December 12th, 1799. He wrote his own will without any legal assistance, and he directed that when his wife dies, all his slaves were to be freed. Uh, Washington also directed that the young enslaved people at Mount Vernon were to be taught to read and write and that the elderly ones be provided with food and clothing. Um, He almost died from medical malpractice as opposed to what he actually died from, which was for more or less a, a bad cold. I mean, he had gone out and surveyed his lands at Mount Vernon. He'd done that two days in a row in horrible winter weather, was complaining about a sore throat. He has trouble breathing. but his doctors, gosh, his doctors bled out five pints of his blood. Yeah, those
1: there were only two real uh, <sighs> things to do in that. There was do some cocaine. Or let's take some blood out. Like those are the two treatments for anything. You guys want to do
0: some lines? Put on Steely yeah. Dan. <laughs> Who's Steely Dan? The uh, yeah. He had almost died before that, though.
1: Oh my gosh! Like the had... the country was preparing. It was actually while he was president.
0: Because they weren't sure what to do. Well, not to mention, we didn't go into this, too, yeah. Blaine. Remember that. But he had had several horses shot out from under him in his early battles. I mean, he had escaped death numerous times on the battlefield. Yeah. He will back
1: all, all the way, way to the French and Indian. Yeah. War. The uh, Indians basically thought that he was protected by his shaman because mm. there were multiple times during the French and Indian War where there was gunfire all around him yeah. and he was completely unscathed, he and his horse. Gosh. And um, that was, it's one of those uh, the things that the, the Indians of the time thought, you know, the commander has a protective spell on him and so he must be like super magic and mm. they revered him. Yeah. They thought he was like this amazing great commander, which they're not entirely wrong on yeah um but it wasn't magic yeah uh, that we know of that's right <laughs> yeah i mean history could President show george that it... washington was not a homo sapien
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> have you ever read that book the presidents were aliens
0: no they confused you... okay I need to watch that movie. That's another one of those movies that I've only seen one time. Who knew that Washington was in the house of Slytherin and escaped death through black magic? Never seen
1: that's actually on my reverse bucket list. Oh, I, I you're know not. your reference, but on my reverse ah. bucket list is I will
0: never see a Harry Potter movie. Oh man. I'd seen the Harry Potter movies without reading the books and I was so confused. I, I was like, what's going on here? And no. my wizard friend was like, well, let me tell you that. <laughs> okay, so Washington is 67 years old. Uh, his family, his nation, and the world mourned the loss of a man whose character and leadership were fundamental to establishing a nation. Apparently fearing a revolt, Martha freed Washington slaves ahead of schedule, on January 1st, 1801. And in an act lamented by historians ever since, Martha burned virtually all of her letters that she and George had exchanged during their courtship and 40 years of marriage. Martha died a year later on May 22nd, 1802, just shy of her 71st birthday and was buried in the family vault on the grounds of Mount Vernon next to her husband. As soon as you said family vault... The first thing that came to mind
1: was, if you remember when we were children, um, they would re-release old Disney movies on VHS, the and they would be like, "Get it now before yeah. we put it back in the vault." <laughs> like, you remember that? Yeah, like Bambi. Yeah, they would be like, "Only for a limited time before it goes back into the vault." That's right. <laughs> Which we're going to release to everyone on the internet one day, and people are like,
0: "What are you talking about?" The frozen <laughs> severed head of Walt Disney protecting the vault. Um.
1: Oh man. So I do want to take a quick. Caveat and talk like we recognize how quickly we just went through yeah. George Washington's life, Gosh. and there's a reason for that. Yeah. So, as Ryan said, we like to cover life, legacy, little known facts. That's the reason we pick the books of of being, you know, their whole life. Um, if you've ever read the Ron Chernow book, you know, like this is not 600 pages with lots of inserts of pictures. It's very small print. There's a lot to get through. We skipped a lot of things. But we did that because um, there's a lot of legacy to talk about.
0: Absolutely.
1: Uh, And and there are a lot of things in our notes that that we wanted to talk about. We didn't because we're going to still cover a lot of those things. Um, Like we said, 1 to 45 and under 90, we've still got quite a bit of time to cover some legacy here. So huge takeaways and then we'll kind of narrow them down like the big takeaways from the legacy because one of the things that i like about this journey is us looking at like how is our country different because they were president Mm. and for somebody like washington uh it's it's more obvious maybe yeah than somebody like millard fillmore why is millard always the one I don't know. People in <laughs> Buffalo are probably really mad about it, too, because yeah. they're like, he's our guy. Like, yeah. Like, he's, he, like, you realize how much he meant to Buffalo, yeah. and, like, we do now. Tommy, you um, got any more paper towels? I'm finishing these wings. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, talking, this guy's talking about Millett Fillmore over throw, here.
1: That's not a Buffalo accent. Why am I from Boston? I'm going to throw <laughs> these guys through a table. <laughs> Um god, it's snowing again. It's July. The uh God, oh, that gives me
0: PTSD. Uh do you want to talk about that? Uh, no,
1: okay. Upstate New York winners are oh, real. Gosh. Um, so legacy about Washington, yeah. big view. Like oh my obviously gosh. uh
0: great leader, obviously um, a really great commander. Leader where? Battlefield? Yes. Okay. How so cuz he lost a lot of battles? He did. And that's
1: like that's one of the things we glossed over early like he lost way more than he won. Yeah. He lost more times than he won. Yeah. But he was we'll say cunning enough in those losses to understand the proper way to uh, uh, not retreat. Uh, Although he did that
0: strategically
1: at times, yeah. it, like, especially when Xville. Like, uh, if you yeah, will. Yeah. He he understood how to move backwards mm. uh, in a way that was, uh, you know, covered up by, you know, he would keep campfires going so it looked like the camp was still there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, the house would wake up the next morning and be like, we're going to get them today. Mm-hmm. And then look over and be like, no one's there. Yeah,
0: and it had <sighs> been muffled by hay bales that yeah. he had ordered to be laid out to muffle the sound of troops.
1: Yeah, like it, he was... That he had audacity, which is one of the main things that you need as mm. a commander of an army. Um, he understood when to attack and how to attack. Yeah. He understood how to be an insurgent. Uh, mm. I mean, at open the time, that up uh, as a military man, insurgent. Open that so up. So at the time, the British Army was the largest and grandest fighting force in the world. Mm. There's a reason there's a Union Jack on like 17 countries' flags right now. Yeah. Um, they believed in this style of fighting that was, we're going to stand in this open field like men and shoot at you when we can see you. And they would literally, and they covered this in this book, they would get angry that the uh, American soldiers would like hide behind trees and take pot shots,
0: like in the Battle of Fort Necessity. Yeah, right? they would.
1: Yeah. They would talk about how like how cowardly of them to stand mm. behind trees, like after they just lost the battle, <laughs> calling the other guys cowardly. Yeah, um, but he understood like using the terrain to your advantage, not just standing out in an open field. Now, granted, they did that plenty of times, more times than they didn't. But he understood using your resources. Like in a way that was advantageous. Mm. I mean, if you look back at... He had soldiers that weren't being paid, weren't being clothed, weren't being fed, that were more than willing to stand up and go fight for him just based off small mannerisms, speeches, Mm. things like that. I mean, that... That's it. Takes a lot to be able to use words yeah. to convince people that are tired, cold, and hungry to mm. go risk their lives for something they're probably
0: not going to see the fruits of their labor on. God, that's that's amazing, man. Like, I don't know why I thought this when you were talking, but I think of the great cathedrals of Europe when they were being built, where you had generations of families building these houses of worship that they would never see completed. And in a way, Washington's army, like I think of Valley Forge in the winter of, what was that, 77? Mm-hmm. When they're, you know, frostbitten, they're not getting paid. Uh, they're, they have no shoes at times. Dysentery is running rampant because... They're, they're literally putting,
1: I'm going to get whipped if I eat, mm-hmm. but I'm going to choose getting whipped God. to eat.
0: That's what I love about the American fighting spirit. Man. So obviously there were problems with his leadership as well. Yeah, right. Like, right, right. Absolutely. Maybe that's
1: too drastic of yeah.
0: a punishment. Yeah. To- but also, I mean, it's a young fledgling country that, you know, he's fighting Congress in a way while he's fighting the British. But his punishments were set in a morality that we're not going to plunder our citizens mm. to win our war. Yeah. Yeah. Like
1: so it's a weird catch twenty two.
0: One thing that I didn't know about Washington until I read, really, A Life of—Washington, uh, A Life by Ron Chernow, all 813 pages of it. 613 pages. I think it was Wait, No, dude, it's 813. 813, It's yeah. a doozy. I have bad handwriting. He, so he wasn't always a great general, but he was an excellent spymaster. This is something we dive, dove into a little bit. One could argue that Washington was more deeply involved in intelligence operations than any other president until Eisenhower— during World War II. Uh, if you want to follow up on this, I recommend two things. I've I've read and seen them both. Uh, the first is the book by Brian Kilmeade called George Washington's Secret Six. Talks about this spy ring that he created that, um, using invisible ink, using code words and, and ciphers and all he these like, Im- love cereal, <laughs> just collected enough to like get his
1: coder ring. And-
0: it's a lousy commercial. <laughs> Don't forget to drink your Ovaltine. teen. What the hell George? Uh, the also is the, uh, I believe it's on AMC. You can try to find it elsewhere, but, uh, it's called turn, oh yeah, uh gosh, what a good what a good series there but uh Washington was an excellent spy master had people embedded into New York, Boston. Um, to really uncover these plots of the British uh, that were subterfuge at the time. Hercules
1: and Mulligan. What? Hercules Mulligan. Hercules Mulligan. Yeah, amen He's to my that. favorite character. He's so good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think we
0: have to drink because you mentioned Hamilton.
1: <laughs> the the side note, like that's the part of Hamilton my kids know they're not allowed to sing. Oh, because the corset. Like, yeah, yeah, they on, do yeah. the, blah, yeah. blah, yeah. I am Hercules, Hercules Mulligan. Mulligan. Oh, and then stop they singing. We have to owe Lin-Manuel yeah. Miranda money. <laughs> well, no, that's my kids know that too because that's where they stop singing. They don't know what it means, but they know they're not allowed to say it. Um, Intercourse over four sets of courses. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But we did. I talked about this earlier. He loved kidnapping people or the plot to kidnap people. Yes, he did. So he tried to kidnap. Go ahead. uh, Let's see. Prince Henry, who was the son of King George, Admiral Robert Digby. Uh, he wrote most of the original branded series. Uh <laughs> ben- the big Lebowski fans will get that. I know Go you ahead. don't uh Benedict Arnold and Sir Henry Clinton. Try to kidnap all of them. He like he was a real big like, well, if we kidnap these important people, we'll have some leverage. And every time there was like a uh weird comedy of errors that would happen that would have like really
0: stood up in like a silent comedy and there's something amazing about we didn't dive into this too much but the benedict arnold saga yeah where arnold captured these guns along with ethan allen and the vermont green mountain boys at ticonderoga which then defeated the british in boston kicked them out of the city then um I think, gosh, there's there's amazing resources out there about Benedict Arnold that you could find if you really wanted to dive into his story. But Washington and... Arnold and then Major John Andre. There's an amazingly fascinating story about how the plot that Benedict Arnold had to overturn West Point to the British. How I mean, there was a there, literally Benedict Arnold is having breakfast with George Washington as Washington receives news. Yeah. That this has gone down, this treasonous plot. Uh, Arnold excuses himself. His wife, or maybe fiancé at the time, who was wife. in on the plot. I think wife. Like starts throwing stuff out a window, right? Going hysterics. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Basically allowing her new husband, traitorous husband, to escape, cross the river, and get, you know, in, in the safety. And then that becomes the site of our military academy. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. It's really crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you go to, to up I mean, upstate New York is anything out of New York That's City. That's not upstate no That's, uh, but anything along the Hudson, there was there's so many sites where Washington, when he was on the run from the British in New Jersey and New York, like where he's just trying to set up camp and be like, We have to figure out how we're going to get out of this predicament very quickly. Yeah. To save this nation, which is still not even like at that point, a nation. I mean, it's a collection of colonies, right? They were outnumbered, outmanned. I mean, had he been caught, he easily would have been killed. Oh. Hanged, a traitor, yeah. you know, like whatever. Like, Remember trial. how we wouldn't let you in the army? Like, <laughs> Right. Guess what? But I, I think that's, to me, what I love about Washington's character of his leadership. Being the first in everything. Um, commanding the Continental Army, helping the Constitution come to form, uh, creating this... What is the presidency? What does this even look like? Um, this is a man who is very prescient um, Without knowing a lot of what is to come, I mean, can't even see maybe 20 years down the line. But I love that what was that, January or uh, July 2nd, 1776, tries to rouse his men with this concept of the fate of these unborn millions hinge yeah. on your actions today.
1: I do have a theory though. Go ahead. I do think he knew. Knew what? I think he knew uh, the ramifications of what would happen down the line and how important what he was doing was. When? When he was commander or, or president? When he was president. Okay. I And I, this is completely my theory. Yeah. I, it's probably completely unfounded and probably incorrect. But if you go back to a lot of his diary mm. um, entries, he, like on really important days, writes very little to nothing. Mm. Um, like the day he becomes the commander in chief of the army, the day he becomes the president of the United States, uh, the like uh, multiple and very important days that are very little in his, in his diary. And he almost goes out of his way in diary entries to be overly humble. Hmm. I almost wonder because of the way that manhood was seen back then, that humbleness was one of the biggest traits that that was seen as as being a great man modesty yeah modesty yeah yeah. that he purposefully left those out so that his legacy would be his Mm. modesty i could be completely wrong interesting it could have just been that he legitimately was like that yeah but there you know the way it kind of pans out and you know he walks out of the room before he's named commander-in-chief he always um you know doesn't try to seek any office it's kind of bestowed upon him yeah. i think he understood um at least in their time that was what was seen as a great leader and so in order to you know perpetuate that he per- even in his private diaries yeah wouldn't write anything because that's what you were supposed to do knowing that in the future people would read these because he was the first president of the United sure. States. So he
0: knew somebody oh, was going to read that. Well, his diary. he had a team around him too that worked 8-hour shifts, you know, to to basically uh, capture these diary entries, yeah. all his letters. I mean, he yeah. was one of the most proficient letter writing presidents of all time. And that uh, modesty and not seeking,
1: you know, office and seeking the highest term in the land like we talked about earlier, it goes for generations like yeah. into the late 1800s. Yes. Um you know before we start seeing presidents really try mm. to be president. I mean we have the one outlier with with William Henry Harrison um with the the campaign with Tippecanoe and, Tip and Tyler too. Sure. But even that was mostly other people campaigning for them. Yeah. Um it he was, was just, out on the trail though. W.H.H. That was, well, yeah, yep. but it's I know what you're saying. That that Modest tone of being president, like even people that really wanted to be president more mm. than anything, yeah, outwardly would never say they were. I really want, want to be president. Do and you think now Welcome by our fourth podcast guest, <laughs> Dirk.
0: Dirk? Dirk, 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 get comfy, man. There you go. I'm Dirk sure is that it. you will
1: hear his pause and
0: jumping on the uh, uh
1: bench in my kitchen more than once.
0: He's just yakking on about, <laughs> yeah. I love Dirk. Dirkish Delight, how you doing over there, guy? You okay? All right. Uh, do you think Washington could have seen 244 years to 2020, or 245 to 2021? No. I mean, what, what do you think? How far was he looking down the line? I mean, maybe 100. Yeah.
1: I mean, yeah. I'm, I mean, I still think if he were to try to project the future, it's still a... He thinks they're the underdog, and he still thinks Britain owns mm. everything. Yeah. That would be my guess. Yeah. Gosh. I mean, it's so hard to predict, you know, yeah, something like that. Um, mm. But what other, like,
0: main legacy points do you think we take away from Washington? It's interesting, because, I mean, the guy was called the father of his country as early as 1778, Right, yeah. <laughs> for, and as we talked about, for someone who
1: didn't have a father uh, and who man, uh, it, it wasn't a father, he was yeah. a stepfather, yeah. which is an incredible feat in and of itself, like to be able to step in and be the father yeah. to children that aren't yours, that's an
0: amazing thing to do. I mean, that it speaks volume to character. Yeah, and that's the thing that I think in 2020, 2021, that we've been living through lately— you know, we're look. Many people are looking through the lens of Washington. Of he was, yes, he created the country. Let's, I mean, a, a lot of other people created the country too. But they see the one fact that he's a slave owner as yeah, the let's mar, pick apart, yeah. as the mar upon his character. So therefore, and dude, I have, I'm very ambivalent about statues. Yeah, we're not. Uh, by no means no, are we saying like. Grief.
1: Let's give him a pass on the slaves. No, 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 That's no. It's not no. what we're saying. No,
0: but I think to look at George Washington as only the negative, darker side of his personalities, um, I think it's too convenient to do that. I think it's too easy to look at him and say, okay, he did all these great things, but also without yeah. looking in the mirror at our own lives. Yeah, and I think that, I would
1: like to think that we looked at it a little bit more fairly than that and said here's the whole story yeah we're not gonna ignore no this stuff not to like try to pat us on the back for that but no like looking at it from a okay here's the stuff that that wasn't great about yeah. his character about his personality yeah here are the things
0: that he did that that persist through time I, I think for me reading the book again uh, Washington Alive by Ron Chernow and there are dozens of books oh, on boy. Washington yeah. again our our, our Uh, This concept with this journey of learning and exploration of the presidency and the American experiment with our podcast is less about a term or a battle or a, a passage of law under one president. It's more about their life, their legacy and little known facts. To me, it was very interesting to think of everything that I tried to remember from grade school about Washington. He's a pretty mythological, iconic figure in our history for good reason, uh, this book really helped me understand the person of Washington a lot more. Yeah. Um, his struggles—I had no idea that he was fatherless at the age of eleven. Yeah, um, but I well, think- because the cherry tree story. Oh yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, is that this is great? That's. As a young child, and I'm sure this is something that children still hear today, yes, is that as a child, Washington chopped down a cherry tree, and his father came out and said, did you chop this down? And he said, I cannot tell a lie. I did it. What happened in reality was later in life, after his presidency, he had so many people coming to Mount Vernon to visit him, and he was a gracious host. Every time they would show up, they'd... Grab some cider or some red wine from Jefferson. Yeah, some Madeira. Yeah. They would feed him like all this stuff. So, what he did was he went out, there was a fork in the road that was leading up to Mount Vernon on all the maps, and you were told when you hit the cherry trees at the fork in the road to take a right. So he went and chopped the cherry trees down so people couldn't find their way to his house where wow. he was trying to live in retirement. <laughs> and when a reporter asked him about it, he said, yeah, I'm not going to lie to you. I chopped the cherry tree down because I'm tired of people just showing up in yeah. my house. Like, that's I paraphrasing, but... You sure. But, th- and then that story over time became a story we tell children
0: to teach them to not lie right so this is what's interesting so, so I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up about the cherry tree there were other myths that came about about Washington's life after his death so there's this guy named Parson Mason Weems he was a book That's peddler a nightmare of a name <laughs> well Parson <laughs> was his title <laughs> Mason Weems oh okay Parson like, was, part, like the he, song he was a yeah. he was a preacher he was a snowman <laughs> That's Parson Brown. Oh, sorry. Anyway, this guy's a book peddler. He's an Episcopal priest. Um, He was eager to cash in. What? He only eats fish. Got it. That's pescatarian. Oh, sorry. Parson Mason Weems, shortly after Washington's death, was eager to cash in on Washington Mania, and he rushed out the first edition of the Life of Washington, in pamphlet form. And he really manufactured enduring myths about Washington, like the cherry tree. There was another one praying out of the open at Valley Forge. Washington was a very private man. Uh, he was more of a deist than he was a Christian. Yeah, that's something we and, need and to And he would back. have never have been so ostentatious as to say, I'm going to pray out in the open in front of all my troops. He was a very private man, more of an introvert already personally, but with his faith... He was very much more a deist than he would never have done that. Um, and also, there was another myth about Washington being so strong that he hurled a silver dollar across a river, the Rappahannock River, He's as like a, as a the silver dollar over that river over there. <laughs> How much he bet I could throw. Coach would have put me, and we would have taken state. Good <laughs> Napoleon Dynamite reference. Also, the silver dollar had John Kennedy's face, on it, which was, <laughs> it was it was really weird. He's like, who's this guy? God. He's handsome, <laughs> Massachusetts. I know that, but who's this Kennedy? The the the
1: Deas part's interesting yeah, too because ahead, it, the the book talks a little bit about. Um, he really, really believed in freedom of religion, so much so that he didn't want people to have an idea of what his religion was because he Correct. was worried that people would think that should be their religion. Correct.
0: This was really so interesting.
1: He, he would go to other yes. religions, yes. religious ceremonies. I yes. think he even like visited a synagogue at yep. one point. Quaker, he, yeah, Presbyterian. Like, he hit them all because he wanted to show people – like. Whatever you believe, I'm down for it. Yep, and we built this so you can believe what you want to believe, and I don't want to uh, push one thing
0: on you. He recited his prayers standing instead of kneel instead of kneeling, which was the common practice of the time. And he never took communion. We're getting a little into the little known facts. Yeah. But he almost also never referred to Jesus Christ in any of his writings or speeches, preferring such vague locutions as Providence, Destiny, the author of our being, or simply Heaven. So you find ways to write words like locutions
1: in your notes, don't you? I wish there was a synonym for thesaurus. Because my (laughs) notes say stuff like, he really liked nice
0: stuff. (laughs) <laughs>
1: and your notes say locutions. locutions.
0: <laughs> well, you know, Blaine, that's why we do this. Yeah. Let's drink again to George Washington. That's Cheers. <laughs> wherever you are, wherever you're listening to the Presequential Podcast, we want to say thanks. you're not in a car or about to get in a oh, car. Oh, gosh. I hope you're not in a car drinking, horse soldier. If you are, we need to have another conversation. You want to tie up his legacy at all before getting into little known facts? No, I, th- I mean, I'd like to think that we We covered the
1: things that we felt were important that by no means is uh, be all end all.
0: Yeah. Um, I I think Washington was a great man in our nation's history, by no means a perfect man. Right. But I think if anyone was going to be the guy who was going to free us from British colonialist rule and... Create this thing. Now, granted, he wasn't alone, but be the figurehead. Mm -hmm. Good grief. It's George Washington. I mean, there's almost there as you read a life by, by Ron Chernow, there's almost this providential, mystic, mythological vibe about Washington. And if you look at the others in the
1: same time period, right, you can find the things that makes them unqualified to do what Washington did. Because like John Adams was a little bit too elitist, a little bit too smart for everyone else, and kind of looked down yeah. on on the people that weren't as smart as him. Even he though
0: were. Washington literally looked down on everyone,
1: Correct. yeah, At yeah. six foot four. Good grief. Um, Hamilton had kind of like a little man syndrome almost. Yeah, like he had to always prove something, and he would do that to the detriment of other people at times. Mm. Jefferson, boy. Uh, (laughs) we'll get into that episode (laughs) episode three like there were plenty of reasons he couldn't have been this person sure franklin was too old and kind of a bit of a nut job yeah hancock might have been too ambitious you know the harrisons were a little too worried about their family lineage which ended up working out okay for him yeah um there i mean if you kind of look at the other players it seems like everybody kind of understood the right person to take these roles. Yeah, um, and this was a person that wanted he wanted from a young age to be a successful soldier, and he wanted to do it for his home country of England.
0: Yeah, soldier, yes, president, leader of yeah. the country at that point. Probably, I not. mean, he tried to join the British
1: Royal Navy. Yeah, and Fairfax. When he when that was turned down,
0: talked him into being a surveyor.
1: He ended yeah. up being a great
0: surveyor. Yeah, well, actually, this was kind of cool as president, as he's, as he's you know exploring the new country. He's he's taking Dirk. You got a you got an itch there, Dirk. You all right? That's Dirk, <laughs> the podcast dog. Just itching some. He's please. old. All right. He's a hundred twenty pound beast. <laughs> That's that is a myth. Wow. Anyway, Washington would actually bring his old surveying equipment with him when he was president. Right. Like it was, it turned into like his retirement hobby. You can take the the boy out of Virginia, but you can take you can't take the Virginian surveyor out of the president. Sure, that's how the old saying came to it, be. That's exactly it. Are you ready to dive into Washington's little known facts? Yes. Start with the teeth, please. Oh, you want me to start with the teeth, Blaine? Oh, we'll get to the teeth. It's no, let's... Hey, you I mean, know if you have to scroll. No, I don't have to scroll. Let's go fancy there. fancy digital notes. What, what? You've got these all written out in a field notes notebook, like some army guy? Yes. Good grief. <laughs> Actually, you do. <laughs> okay, so when Washington was president, we've all heard about him having wooden teeth. Wow. Um, What? Wrong. No, he did not. He... Bought this, them from poor people. This was customary. <laughs> it was a nightmare.
1: This was normal. For thirteen shillings. In 1784. He thirteen would buy, shillings
0: apiece. He, yeah,
1: he would buy teeth from poor people. Not and just be teeth. Like, Look, you need money. I need teeth. <laughs> like,
0: let's It actually sounded sad. like this. I need boom. <laughs> yeah. He bought nine teeth. From certain nameless quote Negroes end quote for thirteen shillings apiece. Yeah, and it was they. It was, uh, I
1: mean, it was a normal thing people, rich people, did. Yes. He also at one point lost a pair of dentures because yes. he put them in port wine overnight. I forgot, about and they this. got completely, uh, uh, Drunk. dyed purple. <laughs> and his dentist was like, "What? What are you doing?" Yeah, George. You can't. Why are you putting them? And he was like, I don't know. It was there. He told me to put in liquid overnight. It was on my mantle. Uh, Also, (laughs) his dentist. Oh, uh, yeah. You're about. I know what you're about. John Greenwood. Go ahead. Which. I'm just going to assume is Lee Greenwood's great 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 <laughs> grandfather. Let's just say, he was he uh, was the first guy to be
0: proud to be an American. Studied dentistry under with
1: Paul Revere. There it
0: is. I love Paul Revere. The music that you're hearing today uh, is from my song Granary about American patriot Paul Revere. That was a shameless plug. Thank you. I already Lane. said that your music would be in the podcast. You're right? a sweetheart. Yeah, and a you
1: can. Check that out on Spotify. You can. iTunes. Go to ryansongs.com. Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Washington only had a single working tooth remaining by the time of his inauguration at 1789. Whistle tooth. (laughs)
2: Let me...
0: <laughs> Little known fact: Amazing on the jug. Oh, so good. play it again, George. Take it. Oh my gosh. Okay, so you mentioned he never wore a wig. um That's true. The state of Washington is the only state in our country to be named after a president. But every town has a street named after. Him.
1: Like, Literally every town. Like if you live in a town that doesn't have a Washington Street. Look at the map again. Yes. You're They're, actually living there. in yeah. Honduras. <laughs> <laughs> he uh, famously didn't like jokes and really expected... Like, you talked about the Esquire, Esquire thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there was a moment where Hamilton convinced... Drink. I think it was Governor Morris mm. to go uh, up to him and be like, Hey, Washington, blah, blah, blah. It was a real Bob Knight situation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he taps George Washington on the so- shoulder and Soldier. goes, hey, Washington, and George Washington turns around and gives him the worst death stare on the yes. planet that Governor Morris immediately knew mm. he had done something so wrong yeah. and like was ready to... To beat the crap out of Hamilton yes. for putting, and then of course, like the boys are just in the corner, like,
0: oh, I can't believe can't. <laughs> like, he did it. Like he that called was him Washington.
1: That's what bros did back yeah. in the
0: day. I will cross the river and murder you <laughs> if you ever do that again. He was, he was definitely up on the formalities. <laughs> uh, Washington is known as the father of the American foxhound, and kept more than thirty of this breed of dog, according was that- to. Was that what Lafayette sent No, Lafayette sent him greyhounds, right? Uh, it might have been greyhounds. Russ, producer Russ. It was greyhounds. Right up. According Stamp to it. Washington's journals, three of the hounds' names were Drunkard, <laughs> Tipler, and Tipsy. On Drunkard! On Tipler! <laughs> on Ti- <laughs> oh my gosh. He, he also pioneered the development of the American mule. A cross between a male donkey, Eeyore, and and a female horse, and is revered by mule aficionados as the father of the American mule. So Good. if you've ever rode a mule before or seen a picture of Which one.
1: Ever, who hasn't?
0: Well, if you go to the North Rim of the Grand Canyon, Blaine, like I have, oh, okay, and ride down in a mule, you've got George Washington thing. Washington was also one of the sickliest presidents ever. Throughout his life, he suffered from diphtheria. Tuberculosis, smallpox, dysentery, malaria, tonsillitis, and pneumonia, to name a few. And gingivitis. <laughs> Washington most definitely would have gotten COVID-19 if he were around French today. Hounds. French hounds. That's what Lafayette gave him. French hounds.
1: Seven French hounds. <laughs> or if you're from France, <laughs> hounds. <Yeah>. <laughs> 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 Which which Lafayette famously was? Yeah, he was.
0: <laughs> Gotta love this guy. Oh man! Oh, we got a kid. Like, what are we gonna name him? I brought
1: them? you all these. I brought you all these dogs, and they're like, "Look at all our French hounds." And he was like, "I." The yeah, I hound-
0: they're just called dogs
2: they're, here. They're, yeah.
1: Just dogs. I got you dogs. Like, yeah, and they're like, no, they're French hounds. No, no, what? 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 Yeah. I sent them over with your president's kid.
2: It's- <laughs>
1: John Quincy, just a plastic bag of <laughs> French dog poo. For a moment, yeah. Go for ahead. a little mo- go moment, No, in fact, uh, talk a little bit more about Mary Ball Washington.
0: Oh, I, 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 I didn't even realize that I said that. <laughs> we know. It
1: was great. Ball Washington. <laughs> yeah. uh, she was a terrorist. She was horrible. Like, she was the original Kardashian mom. So she, like... Tried to stop him from joining the army, the Navy and then tried to stop him from joining the Army. Okay. And then was like just mad all the time. Every time he was up for a promotion, Gosh. she was like, no, come back to come the ranch. Back. Come back and do work. Ugh. And like, I mean, it was his life goal to get away from her. Gosh. And she was just a nightmare of a human. She, was. she was. Yes. <laughs> it was. Like, I mean. I don't want to get oh. too far into it. Like, If you want to learn more about it, it's in like the first 300 pages of yeah. this book. You have fun <laughs> with that. Yeah.
0: Um. The good news is, is you can buy it on Amazon for $50. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's cheaper than that. I know. I'm just kidding. <sighs> Washington, okay, uh, I did facts. not know this. I did not know this. Some more little known facts. In 1789, Washington's presidential salary was 2% of the total U.S. budget. The dude was ballin'. 2% of the entire country's budget was his salary. And he still died penniless. Still was poor! One of the like
1: first in a long line of presidents yes. who died. Land rich and cash, cash poor. poor. A lot of
0: Virginians, right? Oh, a lot of Virginians. I mean, that Virginian dynasty. He actually had to borrow money to attend his own inauguration. The first one. Yeah. Gosh. Okay, Blaine, check this out. If you don't count... Bill Pullman in Independence Day. (laughs) All right. George Washington is the only president to personally lead troops in the field while serving as POTUS. Mm, Okay. On September 19, 1794, he led 13,000 federalized militia troops on a nearly month-long march west over the Allegheny Mountains in Pennsylvania to survey the so-called Whiskey Rebellion. Yeah, he was not the first to
1: receive fire, which I believe is a source of contention between Madison and Lincoln. No, Monroe and Monroe. Lincoln. Yeah. Monroe and Lincoln. Depending on how you define receive fire. Okay. Each of them did in different ways, which yeah. we will dive into. We'll dive later. into that. Yeah.
0: But basically, he leads all these troops west. He, um, the, the people who are, uh, they're the rebels in the Whiskey Rebellion, which if you want to dive into that, there's the internet for yeah. that.
1: There's, you know, they're just doing the thing we did with T.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we did. They're like, it was
1: fine before. (laughs) Hey, let's do
0: it. Everyone else was jumping off a bridge. I'd jump off it too. Well, he basically hands off the troops and goes back to Philadelphia. But uh, first and only president to lead troops in the field. Um, At Mount Vernon, he grew hemp and ran a profitable distillery that made 12,000 gallons of whiskey a year. Washington knew how to throw down. Yeah. Well the hemp wasn't
1: was used for like lots of different things. Was it? Very strong uh material
0: they was used it? it. Oh yeah. It, it wasn't just C B D lotions. <laughs> yeah. It's just
1: popping up on every corner. Like the <laughs> fireworks store goes
0: away. No, literally you <laughs> Washington hemp. <laughs> you could feed this to your French hounds for their anxiety. <laughs> Lafayette's like, you mean our dogs? What happened to the fireworks store? This used to be a Marsh. (laughs) Marsh Marsh supermarkets? Shout out to Marsh. We're in Indiana. Oh, God. When Washington died, he was a lieutenant general. But as the centuries passed, this three-star rank did not seem commensurate with what he had actually accomplished. So... I did not know this. In seven, or I'm sorry, 1976, a law was passed to make Washington the highest-ranking U.S. officer of all time, General of the Armies of the United States. Nobody will ever outrank George Washington in the military. Well, okay, with now the way the things are going, we don't know. Go, yeah, to <laughs> yeah, date, they, like yeah.
1: <laughs> like, we could make up things. Right, 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 right. We have been. Lord Protectorate <laughs> of the universe. <laughs> yeah. Those were some good little known facts right there about
0: George Washington. Yeah, and I, I think, I hope that we did him justice. I think we did. Yeah. For not being presidential experts at all and reading one book. One book. One book. That'll be the theme. I think we did a good job. Yeah. Way to go, us. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, thank you for listening to the Presequential Podcast. However you find us, wherever you are, thank you. If you loved this episode, please subscribe, share it with a fellow history buff, and leave a review. Also, be sure to follow us on all the social media platforms at... Presequential. That's P-R-E-S-I-Q-U-E-N-T-I-A-L. Our next episode on John Adams will be released on Wednesday, February 3rd, 2021. Until then, thank you for listening to episode one, the father of the Presequential Podcast. We'll see you next time.